Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to another version of the live FIF podcast brought to you on FIF TV on YouTube. Joining me this week, as usual, is Nicholas Carroll, coming in happy again. I'm not used to you being this happy all the time, Nick, but Inter are doing well. How are things with you? Yes, very well, thanks, Connor. Um, five in a row, it's somewhat unheard of um, in recent times, but yes, very happy. And I'm just trying to kind of calm down from that uh, Torino-Milan game at the moment. I've made myself a nice little drink, so just trying to chill the nerves and try and comprehend what just happened. Yeah, it's much needed. I've had to have a beer as well just because that was crazy. I was trying to keep up with it for so long, but it was getting difficult. And also joining us in the absence of Luca Gumby this week is a special guest in Blair Newman. Blair, how about you just introduce yourself? Hi, Nicholas. Good to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm a full-time freelance writer focusing on Italian football. I've written for 442, Bleacher Report um, and a few others. Um, so yeah, really pleased to be on the show. Talk about culture. Yeah, it's good to finally have you on after weeks of trying to get you. Um, right, so let's we've touched on Milan Torino. Let's just dive straight in. Torino went two nil up tr- through Bellotti and Benassi. Then Milan came charging back in the second half and eventually drew two each. So Nick, where do we begin with this? I'm not sure how to um, even start with that match. It was. I guess, I guess knowing how the, both of those teams played, it did have a bit of an element of um, it could go that way given that um, both defences are somewhat questionable at the best of times. And uh, I guess um, probably Torino in particular, um, they're very much an attacking team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Torino just kind of took it to them at the start and it looked like for a while it, might, it could get quite embarrassing for Milan. And, um, you know, if they got that penalty if Adam Lajic actually hit the penalty with any kind of you know, um, vigor or anything, um, 
three nil. That you know, I mean, you can't say for sure, but it looked like it would have been game over. So, um, I think Torino will be very disappointed not to have um, got a result, um, particularly with the penalty as well. I mean, while while it is a penalty, I agree that you know, by the rules, it is one. But if you went through every Serie A match and pulled up every time that gets um, that happens in the box, then there would be you know a handful of penalties a match at least. So, um, you know, I don't know if 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 they're going to be consistent with that kind of stuff, I'm all happy for it. But um, you know, I think they'll possibly be a bit hard done by. It. But at the same time, a draw is probably relatively fair. Yeah. Um, so Andrea Bellotti scored again early on, and he had a a couple of chances to score a few more before Milan started to come back. He's been linked with a move away recently. Arsenal have been touted as interested and pretty much anybody else. I think there's links with China as well. I think the price tag on him at the moment is between 90 and 100 million. Obviously, that's absolutely crazy money. But Blair, I'm going to throw over to you for this one. Just how much do you think Andrea Bellotti is worth at the moment? Well, I think he's he's one of the top strikers in Serie A. So, you know, if you look at... Um guys like Higuain and Accardi and what they're worth. He's probably just beneath them. But he's Italy's number one striker, I would argue, at the moment. I don't know what you guys would say about that, but that's my opinion. And, um, you know, if you're Italy's number one striker and you're scoring regularly in Serie A and consistently, not, not you know, four goals one game done the next, but consistently scoring goals, um, I'd say he's, uh, that valuation is it's exaggerated, but He's definitely worth sort of around 50 million euros, in my opinion. Of course, it's entirely subjective and, and the transfer market's crazy. So my opinion is almost completely and totally invalid. But that's that's what I would have him at, something around there. I mean, I, I completely agree with you, Blair. Um, he is definitely the, the best striker that Italy has at the moment. And I mean, he's 23 years old, which is kind of ridiculous. But I guess on one hand, it kind of shows the, the lack of talent there has been for Italy in terms of strike force. Um, the last few years, um, really the only one that Italy's been relying on is Graziano Pelle, of course, who's gone to China now. Um, so, you know, he's he's definitely the, I guess, the new big um, talent of the next generation. Um, and it, it's hard with the amount of money that's been thrown around these these days. While, you know, I, d- I don't think it's really market value, but it's it's kind of just a sign of the times that, Clubs are willing to pay well beyond market value. Um, they are seem to be just extorted prices. But then you consider the 90 million euro that's paid for a 28-year-old in Gonzalo Higuain. Yes, the record-breaking Serie A goal scorer, but 28 years old. And then when you put that into perspective, then, you know, for Bellotti, a 23-year-old who's doing what he is at such a young age, at such um, when he's still got so much more maturity to come, um, you know, it, it does make a lot of sense. And I um, props to Torino for actually putting a, a price tag like that on him because I think uh, clubs like that really should be trying to uh, protect, you know, the investments that they've made over the years, but also, um, you know, um, I, I, guess, I guess for Serie A itself, I think it's good. And these players need to actually develop. So the longer these players can actually stay with teams like this, um, which possibly contradicts the likes of Gagliardini, who we'll probably discuss later. But um, I think the better for their own development, really. Yeah, so it wasn't just 
Belotti in terms of Italian players or even young Italian players on the pitch today. I think it was 15 of the 22 that started the game were actually Italian, which is kind of refreshing to see. And in Torino and Milan, there's a lot of young Italian talent coming through. So is Italy's future very much seen in this current Torino side, along with a few who are coming through at Milan and then Atalanta as well? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good point. I mean, Bellotti, Benassi, I guess they're the two standouts that um, have been discussed a lot in the media of late um, and they very much look like they will be the um, a staple somewhat of the next uh, Azzurri generation um, Bereka as well, I guess you could say. So, um, yes, I mean, you know, it's, it's always hard. You never want to kind of jinx it and say, you know, these players are going to be the next, you know, Italian superstars because that's the kind of pressure that can ruin careers. And and as I said, I think while they show so much promise, a lot can go wrong, and we've seen that so many times, um, particularly with Italian players, you know, the likes of, for example, Aquilani, you know, how such a promising player and his career just kind of flopped, basically. Um, so I think um, they need to be developed properly. You know, they have the potential 100% to be the, the next generation for Italy. Um, the potential is amazing and, you know, possibly with previous generations, but um, they need to be developed and fostered in. And I think Italy's started to do that by bringing some of the young players into the Azzurri uh, squad to, to actually learn from the, the older players. So um, there is a lot of promise, but, I, you know, I, I think is, we should just be wary on um, putting too much pressure on them at this young age, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, certainly from what I've seen of Bereka this season, he's quite a new player to this scene, isn't he? But he looks very mature tactically and stuff. Um, you know, in terms of modern fullbacks, he's, he seems quite safe as well defensively. And um, Benassi, I've been impressed with for a few years. Um, Mihailovic seems to have made him a, a regular first team of this season and he seems to be thriving at that. And up front, Bellotti, he's just an absolute beast. You know, he's an all-round striker. He's Italy's number one um, one of the best strikers in, in Serie A. So I, I don't see them fading away, um, certainly not Bellotti and, and Benassi, because they've been there for a few seasons and they've proven themselves over, you know, 24 months or so. Yeah, well, Nick, you did mention players who kind of never fulfilled their potential. And one of those on show tonight was, he's not Italian, but Adam Jajic. He... That was his Serie A career just summed up in one night for me. He was brilliant for five minutes, then he was terrible for another five. And he just blew so hot and cold, like he has done pretty much wherever he's been. Um, Sinisa Mihailovic has been getting quite impatient with him. I think he told him he needed to grow up or wake up earlier this season. And you could see him getting a little bit angered on the touchline this evening. Nick, what do you think is next for Jajic if he fails again at Torino like he very well could? Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's kind of done the rounds for a few years now, so he's really at the point where he needs to kind of focus and really make this work. And I guess the annoying thing is maybe for Mihalovic and I guess uh, from outsiders just watching the match is that that Torino squad, the the, for, the format, the structure of that team is perfect for Laic. But that is exactly the type of team that he should be thriving in. So I can understand Mihalovic's frustration completely. And you have to wonder whether it is, 
you know, it, it always does seem to be somewhat of a mental or a mentality issue uh, with light because the talent is unquestionably there. We've all seen it in bits. And you do, as, as you said, Connor, he, he can be one of the most frustrating players in Serie A because he will show that brilliance and then within 30 seconds will show um, that exact opposite. Um, but in saying that, you know, I, I, I don't want to um, put him down too much because, I mean, he, he has been had a bit of a lull in form. Um, I don't think he's scored in, what is it, six starts. Um, he's got one assist in those last six starts. But at the same time, over that period, Torino's only won ma- one match as well. So they haven't been um, in the best of form as a team as well. Um, you know, and the, the whole season he has got five goals and four assists to his name. So, he, you know, he has been uh, performing. Um, I think just that dip in form probably is um, getting to Mihalovic probably a bit. But um, I, I don't think he should lose patience too quickly because I, I still think he plays a key part. And even if he's not um, producing the goals necessarily, um, I think there's a lot can, can, a lot can be said for his presence in the team just in being that attacking threat. Um, I guess most defenders in Serie A know who Adam Lajic is and know if you give him space around in and around the box, then he will use it and use it effectively. So, um, you know, he, he pulls a lot of attention on himself and that can only help the likes of Andrea Bellotti. So in that respect, I still think he's very important to the team. So, um, But, you know, whether that mentality thing is going to just be an ongoing thing with him or whether... You know, he finally matures. That's hard to say. Yeah, Blair, if you don't mind, I'd like to move away from Torino now and to Milan. They, I don't want to sound too much like Brendan Rodgers, but they showed amazing character to come back from being 2-0 behind on a penalty to make it 3. But this, do you think this is a one-point dropped for them still? They should have ambitions of at least trying to qualify for the Champions League. You've covered them quite closely for the most part of this season. What do you think they could realistically do come May? I think for much of this season, I've said top six would be realistic. I think top four isn't a thing in Italy because it's the top three qualified for the Champions League. But I think they seem that aren't Juventus just Napoli and Roma. Do you know what I mean? I think um, Juve and Napoli and Roma, their levels ahead of Milan really in terms of squad and you know, their, their preparation and stuff for the last few seasons. They've got established coaches. So I think Milan can aim for fourth. Um, it's, it's a pretty open pack. I mean, Fiorentina have been underwhelming for much of this season, despite the recent result against Juve and Inter have been the same. So we know when Atalanta play really exciting football, but you just wonder whether they can do it over the course of a full season. Um, no offence. But... <laughs> uh, but with uh, with Milan, I think I think they can last the distance. In terms of is this a point, uh, two points dropped? Um, I think Torino are a really tricky game. You know, they're really really aggressive defensively and not easy to play out against. And that's what Milan tried to do in every game. You know, physically, um, Torino they have got they've got a lot of energy, a lot of strong players, a lot of aggressive players. So they're not an easy team to play against, especially at home. So I think it's it's a reasonable point, and I'm not going to complain about it. I think last season Milan would have been a lot worse off in that game. Yeah, I could see Nick nodding in agreement when you said they're a level below Roma and Napoli. I don't know if you or any of the viewers have been keeping an eye on our YouTube channel. We gave our predictions for the end of the season. I think Nick tipped Milan to finish fifth or sixth, and 
I reckon they could make a push for the top three, but I feel very firmly put on my place right now. <laughs> um, so we spoke about one crazy game that's happened this weekend. And up until tonight, the best game of the round looked like it was going to be Juventus against Fiorentina, where Laviola beat the Bianconeri 2-1 at the Artemio Franchi. Um, Nikola Kalinic, right, he, he was just fantastic throughout. He absolutely destroyed Juventus's BBC, who looked a bit leggy, and this could be the first season where they really seem to be showing their age. Um, Nick, I'll go to you for this one. Do you think it's time to really split up that BBC and maybe give Daniela Rugani a starting place in the big games? Well, I mean, it, it seems to be going that way, definitely. I think this this almost seems like somewhat of a transition season. He's getting more and more game time. Um, you know, it looks like next season he will be, you know, at the expense of who, maybe, don't know. But it looks like he will be, I think, a regular starter come next season. Um, yeah, it's it, they they kind of look uncharacteristic at times, which, um, you know, you just think, well, they're having an off game, but... Um, when they've done it a few times, you start to wonder whether maybe it is age getting to them. Um, there's actually an interesting stat I have um, doing a bit of research for the FIF pod, as always. Um, Daniela Ragani has started six matches, six Serie A matches this season. Juventus has won all six of them. Now, he's also, um, of all the goals Juve have conceded, only I think it's... Uh, what is it? It was 14 before um, last night's game, so it'd be 16 now. So only two have been conceded while Rugani's been on the field. So you look at, the, for example, the Genoa match. He came on after 33 minutes. That was after all three of Genoa's goals were scored, and then they didn't concede again. So, you know, I don't know whether that's all a coincidence or whether there's something there. I don't know, but I think it's um, somewhat telling in some ways. But... Um, Interesting nonetheless, but yeah, I mean, he's obviously the future and um, I think it is time that that transition is definitely happening. I'm stunned into silence that you've actually done some research for the podcast, Nick. Usually the most unprepared of the three. Um, Ah. uh, Staying on the topic of Juventus, we got a question on Facebook earlier from one of the listeners, um, Filippo Cacciamo, who wants to know, regardless of what Juventus achieve at the end of the season, is it time for Juve and Allegri to part ways? And if so, who would be an ideal replacement? Um, I think that's premature, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. On the basis of the Fiorentina defeat, you know, uh, I think that's quite a short-term reaction. I mean, he wasn't particularly popular when he came in, was he? So I think he's proved a lot of people a good bit more time. Yeah, well, this is the first time... They've conceded in five away matches consecutively. So something needs to change there, but I'm inclined to agree that it is a bit reactionary to start pointing fingers at Allegri, and it does kind of smack of the reaction that a lot of people had when he was at Milan, and the problems were clearly more deeply rooted than Allegri then. And now I think they could be as simple as just sorting the defence out and maybe giving some some younger players a run. Mm. Um, So Nick, we'll move back over to you and... You spoke about this game after the immediately after the final whistle with Fieri, who was voicing his concerns about Fiorentina's recent injuries. One of the players who returned from injury last night was Borja Valero, and he was fantastic. I'm sure you'll agree. I think he might have been one of them. 
he might have been man of the match if not he was a contender how much has he been missed since early December when he was ruled out yeah I mean I, th- I think he's kind of one of those um those staple players in a team he, he won't necessarily grab the headlines um on a weekly basis but he very much um does so much um in, in the middle of the park in terms of controlling the team um I mean you look just things like his pass passing. He had a 95% pass success rate um, last night. Um, he chipped in with a few tackles here and there. Just, I think he's, he, he provides such a, I mean, for, for Palace also, uh, you just think he's just that reliable person that you can have in there that you know is going to do that job and can do it well um, consistently. He, he rarely makes, um, you know, a lot of the mistakes that possibly some of his teammates have been making. Um and you, I think you saw, um, you know, in terms of Fiorentina going out there and being able to dominate a, a Juventus team, which is very rarely dominated in Serie A, I think um, he no doubt had a big part of that, um, you know, and makes makes it easy for the likes of Kalinic to actually um, have such a strong game up front. So, um, you know, he won't get the, the massive plaudits necessarily, but as you said, I think he was... Uh, one of the standouts, um, I think um, Sanchez as well, filling in in defence was um, extremely solid at the back. He um, he was probably my man of the match as well, actually. I don't really like asking this question, but I kind of have to to keep people interested. So it's down to one point gap at the top. Juventus have a game in hand over Roma. Is there any chance that Roma or Napoli can? do something and try and put together a serious title challenge. Blair, I've heard Nick's opinion on this before, so I'll let you take it. Um, Roma, no, because I think they're basically the Italian Arsenal, so I can see them getting <laughs> to a certain point and, uh, and falling away very quickly. With Napoli, um, I think long-term Napoli are the, are the, the natural successors to Juventus, actually. I think the business they did last summer was really impressive. You know, they saw in Maximovic and Tonelli, Two of the best centre backs in Italy, in Serie A, outside the big three, um, and they brought in Zelensky and Diawara and Milik, obviously. So they've got a really, really good um, core of young players coming through. Sari's not going anywhere, and I think he's got a very clear idea of the football he wants to play, and it's successful to an extent. So I think you could argue that the Napoli of last season would be top of Serie A this season, because I don't think Juventus have, have really been over the kicked on despite the new signings. So uh, I think I can see them succeeding Juventus over the next few years, whether they do it this season, though I think that's that's um, a bit ambitious. Um, so I, I can see Roman Napoli plugging away, but uh, yeah, I don't see the team overtaking Juventus this season still, unfortunately. And even if they were three or four points clear, the sort of natural realism that's been sort of forced down there over the years would think that Juventus are going to still pull it pull it off in the end yeah it's a bit of a depressing time to try and push Serie A yeah. competitive league you see games like tonight but then ultimately do they really mean all that much when Juventus are still just going to stroll to the title you, yeah, mentioned, exactly. you mentioned Napoli um, I don't know if you saw their game against Pescara they won 3-0 or 3-1 sorry um, they were frustrated mostly for the first half and then I think, was it Lorenzo Tonelli, their new number nine that opened the scoring? And then I don't know if you saw Peter Zielinski played a fantastic pass over the top and Marek Amsic turned it in. 
showing that Peter Zielinski has just slotted so well into that team. And I think he started 19 or 11, sorry, of their games so far this year. Come on as a sub in eight. But do you, either of you think he... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. He should be starting every single game, given that he's young, he's coming through, and he clearly has an impact when he does play. I'm just going to quickly say I would prefer Alan. Uh, I still prefer Alan, but um, Zielinski is a really good sort of uh, a very natural replacement for him. You know, they're both dynamic up and down midfielders. They can defend and attack. So it's a tricky decision to make, actually. But I would just prefer Alan. Nick, anything to add? Yeah, um, it's a hard one. Like I, Personally, I, I'm a massive fan of Zielinski. I think, um, as you said, he's really starting to slot in well in that outfit and um, actually, I did the the top um, Serie A midfielders for FIF for 2016, and I had him in there um, just because of not only how how well he's done as an individual, but how much he's progressed. Um, you know, coming from Empoli and and to be able to progress into that Napoli outfit. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's a good thing for for Sari to have, which potentially he hasn't had in past years in terms of that choice in the midfield. So I think um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for Napoli or Zielinski in itself. I think this is potentially Napoli looking to build a, a team that can actually win the Scudetto, going back to the whole Juventus question. You know, while I don't think it will be this season, I think they are building that squad now um, that can push for it. So, you know, I... Um, uh, as as Blair kind of said, I think he's he can. I do understand him possibly starting from the bench sometimes. Um, in terms of Allen, I guess can um, just be that more consistent kind of direct play where um, Zielinski has that ability to possibly have more of an impact in terms of that dynamic kind of play. So um, you know, I can't understand him coming from the bench, but I mean, I think the the more minutes he generally plays, the better for Napoli. So, um, and I think he will 
gradually just kind of, I mean, it seems with every game he's he's becoming more and more natural in that new team. So um, I think he will become um, more and more often a starter for them. Okay, well, we did speak briefly about their new star striker, Lorenzo Tinelli. And with them losing Higuain in the summer and then going on to lose Eric Milik through injury so early on, um, Tinelli, Hamsik and Mertens scoring at the weekend, is this the best way to replace a striker who scores so many and you become so reliant on by everybody chipping in rather than it just being down to the one man up front? Nick, I'll st- actually, Blair, I'll take you for this because Nick's going to go on a rant in a minute. Um yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Napoli are a really strong team, aren't they? A really strong team team, that's the thing. Um, in the sense that last season they relied a lot on Higuain. This season they've sort of been forced to spread out a bit more. You know, Mertens has come in with a few goals as a false nine. And Sinia's continued to score on and off. And, you know, Callahan's still there. So, I mean, they've got players that can score goals. You know, Hamsik can score goals. Alan Zielinski can get forward and contribute. So... If anybody's well placed to handle the loss of a striker, you'd think it would be Napoli. Um, in terms of being able to spread the uh, the share of goals around the team, over to Nick for his rant. Okay, um, yeah. So Blair, if you need to use the bathroom or make a cup of tea or anything, I suggest this is the time to do it. I might go and do the same because I didn't know I ranted. Do I? We're, rant? g- we're going to talk about Inter, Nick, and will that oh. listeners decide? They won again. You mentioned earlier, so you're happy. It shouldn't be an angry. It's going to be more a confession of love, I think, than anything else. But, okay, so Gagliardini, we spoke last week that, and we said we were worried that he might not play all that regularly. We showed exactly what we know because yeah, not only did he play, but he was pretty impressive. So, Nick, take it away. Yeah. Um, wow, so... Yeah, I did not expect him to start that quickly. Um, so obviously came from um, what's that team called again? Um, Don't do this. Thirty C team or something? No, no, no. Only joking. Um, I actually do like Atalanta. I actually do like Atalanta. I actually do like Atalanta. Anyway, back to the question. Um, Wait, can you just say that again? I didn't quite hear you. I said fellow Nerazzurri. Well, before that, you do quite like Atalanta, did you? No, no, I think you misheard me. I actually do like Atalanta. This is um, really <laughs> No, um, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't expect him to start, uh, that's for sure. Um, um, as particularly given, you know, the, the likes of Gabagol, what's happened with him. Um, it, I mean, how, how much preparation can you have in five days? You have to question that. But then, I mean... I mean, you can't really um, challenge it so much given the performance that he um, put in. Um, he was uh, incredible. For, for a first game coming from Atalanta to Inter, um, that was amazing for me. Um, he, he looked like he he belonged in that team. It looked like he'd been playing with them the whole season at, at the very least. Um, he, he was... Uh, impacting on the in attack, he he had like a, a few shots on goal. Even um, he was making passes, and then he was tracking back. He made a, a few key challenges. Um, some uh, there was one or two really good solid tackles that he made. Um, so yeah, unbelievable. I, I you know as much um, as much uh, as people are talking him up, I did not expect him to do that in Inter, and that was my worry that 
you know, I didn't want him to come and just kind of sit on the bench. So, um, you know, much credit to Pioli for having the confidence in him. Obviously he must have impressed um, the coach at training. Um, and, you know, if he's impressing, if he's looked like he's going to do the job, then why not play him, I guess? So it's not like our um, Inter's defensive midfield in terms of that too. It's It's been very kind of up in arms in terms of who plays that role. So, you know, um, Gialmario, it allowed Gialmario to play in a higher role as well. Um, didn't have the best game in that position, but, you know, it does allow him a bit of freedom to play um, more akin to what he's possibly used to. So, um, and then um, I think you even mentioned to me, Connor, that it actually allowed Condogbia to even have uh, a lot better game than what he has in the past. Um, I think it gave him a lot more space to to work with. There was a few times when he he was able to actually get into some space, um, also due to his own skill as well. But there's still those elements where he kind of shows some frustrating, he, he, you know, does those amazing turns and has those brilliant touches and then, puts a pass straight into the sideline 50 metres away. So, you know, that aspect he still needs to work on. There's a lot more he needs to do. But a lot of positive signs in that um, midfield. Yeah, I was actually, I suppose, when he made the step down from Atalanta to Inter, I thought he would take it in a stride because he's been playing brilliant football and a good team all season. But then when I saw he was starting, I was a bit nervous, especially seeing that he was starting beside Jeffrey Kondogbia because I just thought he'd become so exposed. and But it really seemed to work. Like you say, Condogbia had more space. I think he knew that if he lost the ball, Gagliardini would track back. Whether or not that can last, and if Gagliardini is happy to just keep sweeping up for Condogbia all season, could be another thing. So, Blair, I'll bring you back into this as we move away from Inter. Um, well done for sitting through that, by the way. Uh Lazio beat Atalanta at the Olympico this weekend in a meeting of two of the most informed sides. Lazio are now, I think they're fourth. They're one point off third, correct me if I'm wrong, and three or four off Roma. Mm-hmm. How high can they aim? I know you think that Napoli and Roma are kind of in their own little league between Juventus and the rest, but can Lazio and Milan or anybody disturb that? When you asked me about Milan earlier, I actually forgot about Lazio uh, in that mix because they're probably the best contenders for fourth as, along with Milan. Um, I don't know. I think, I think I'm really impressed with what Inzaghi's done in his first season at Lazio. Like that's that's a seriously impressive achievement. Um, what impresses me the most is how so many of the young players seem to be pulling for him um, and working for him. You know, guys like Keita Baldejao and Felipe Anderson who you know, over the last few years, the commitment's been questioned, I think. And sort of rightly so with some of their performances, they blew hot and cold, to say the least. This season, they've been really consistent, um, versatile as well. Anderson is sometimes filled in as a right wing back, which you just never have imagined them doing before. And, uh, you know, worked very hard in that position and played well. So, yeah, I like what Inzaghi's doing there. And, and they've got a really strong young team as well. But I know we talked about Atalanta and Torino and Milan. Lazio don't have it as many young Italian players, but they do have a lot of young players. Um, guys like Sergei Milankovic-Savic, Keita and Anderson, you know, um, I'm sure I'm missing a few out, but there's uh, there's a number of really talented young players there. So with a young coach in Inzaghi, the, the future looks very bright, but yeah, not massively certain they can challenge the top three this season. Um, maybe next season. Well, 
you, they don't have many young Italian players, but one Italian player they do have who's in great form is Paolo Mobile. He has. That's an unfortunate thing. <laughs> um, yeah, Ciro Mobile. He has 11 goals in Serie A this year. He's not Capocannonieri. He doesn't look like he's going to really contend with Belotti and Dicardi. But do you think he's nailed on to accompany Belotti in the national team? They're clearly, they've got a good understanding of one each other, one another from their time at Torino. And they seem to be pretty good mates. Do you think the two of them will work well for Italy going forward? Yeah, and in the games they've played together, they've they've worked really well together, haven't they? I mean, on paper, you'd say they're almost too similar to work to work well as a two, because Immobile and Belotti, you know, both like to run the channels. Um, you sort of need one player to do that, and the other player sort of hangs around the, the centre in the penalty area. But I think they've worked well with Italy so far. Um, they're an absolute nightmare for for defences, aren't they? Because they never stop running. Um, they'll defend from the front as well. So I like them as a pairing. Um, maybe they don't have the skill set that you would traditionally associate with some of Italy's top number nines. But then if you look at last summer, neither do Edir and Pella, and they work as well. So yeah, I, I can see Belotti and Immobile being a good sort of short-term partnership. I would also throw Patani into that mix, though, from Atalanta. I don't know how you would feel about that, but he really, really impresses me. You know, he, he has a lot of technique, um, especially in comparison to Immobile and Belotti, who are more sort of workers and, and finishers. Yeah, we actually, I'm inclined to agree with you about Patania, though I'm not sure I, I would throw him into the Italy setup just yet. But we spoke a little earlier this season. I think you were writing a piece about Patania with uh, from an AC Milan perspective, and I was just saying, and I still feel that I, I haven't been anything but surprised by him this year. He's, I just thought he was this big lump who played up front, and Papu Gomez would hit the ball at his head every once in a while. But he does look like a big lump, in yeah. Fact. He does. He's a scary big lump as well. But no, he runs the channels. He's not bad on the ball. His goal of the weekend was very good technically. Um, it just really surprises me how well he's fitted into a team that isn't as direct as you might expect him to be from previous seasons. Staying yeah. in Rome, but leaving Lazio. Just talk briefly about Roma. They beat Udinese 1-0. And this is without Mohamed Salah, who has been so key for them this year. Nick, last week you were saying you didn't think they were that of much of a one-man team, but they struggled to break Udinese down a lot this week. Do you think that was largely due to Salah missing, or was there something more to it? Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, I said last week I didn't want to read too much into it, uh, and again, I'm not, you know, ready to start, you know, start writing them off yet. Uh, you know, but to put it plainly, they they've they haven't played well the last two matches um, in terms of creating chances. They just haven't looked the same. They haven't looked as lively at all. Um, they, they just don't convince you where, you know, at the, the first half of the season, when they had the ball, you were kind of on the edge of the seat because it always looked like something might be created at all times where this kind of in attack, it, it, it seems like a different team all of a sudden, um, you know, whether that's, completely Salah or whether it's just a bit of a somewhat of a hangover still from the Christmas break you know Juventus haven't come back the best either from from the break so you know um, I I think the key thing with them is that they have actually won both the matches and 
that's the probably the difference from the Roma of um, that we've seen in previous years, where this a Roma that's not playing well will drop points and drop them by imploding basically. Um, so I think that's a really positive sign for them that they are lacking a lot in terms of missing that attacking flair with Salah, um, and then they don't seem to play, be playing well, but. You know, if if they can grind out the results, then that's a really good sign. Um, particularly, you know, again, not for necessarily for this year, but for future years. Um, but in saying that, I mean, I, I think Salah has definitely um, uh, had an impact. Um, I was looking through the the shots per game, and um, while Jekko's obviously usually, I mean, he, he's completely dominated basically the last couple games since Salah's been absent. And there hasn't really been anyone below him, the next in line, um, uh, uh, quite, a, quite a way down, basically. He's had seven shots and six shots in the last two games, and Roma's total shots were 13 and 15. So he's basically had the majority on one and almost the majority on the other, where um, the games before that against Chievo, against Juventus, while he had um, nine shots, Against Kiev, for instance, there was a total of 25 shots and you had El Shadal away with five, Niang, Salah chipping in with three. So there was a lot more going on around him. So, and I think that's the key. I think Salah is definitely a, a big part of that attacking puzzle in terms of uh, Roman's attacking threat in being able to attack all sides and also through Zeko. So, and I think when Zeko has that added pressure, when, when they're relying on him, he doesn't necessarily have the temperament to be able to handle it. And then you get those kind of penalties where, well, I mean, you know, we know what happened with that. So, um, you know, I, I am seeing personally the difference without Salah, definitely, but they've got the results so far. And if they can continue that through January, getting the results here and there, then, um, you know, well played to Roma because um, that's a huge improvement on what they've been in the previous seasons. My mic is getting a little bit dodgy, so you might not hear from me again, but Blair... Can you just tell the guys where to find your writing and how to follow you on Twitter or Facebook? So I can be found on Twitter at the Blair Newman. Um, I write regularly for Sport Deck. He makes it these football times and Gentleman Ultra, where I'm the co-editor. If uh, if anyone for I don't know why you'd want to, but if you want to follow me on Twitter at Nick Z Carroll C A W R O W L. Um, and, of course, be sure to jump on the FIF YouTube page, which we've been running for a bit over a week now. So we're trying to get out daily content on that. Um, Vier is doing daily transfer news and updates on all the goings-on, the moves and rumours here and there. Um, there's also some mid-season reviews on there for a few of the top clubs. And uh, basically any big news or some post-match uh, hangouts similar to this, basically we'll be trying to do wherever we can. So um, if you can jump on to YouTube and um, support us wherever you can. And also if you're feeling extra generous, um, there's also an FIF Patreon page where you can help support the FIF team. Obviously we all, um, well, you might not know, but we all volunteer our time for this. So any kind of uh, donations or anything helps us to get some equipment and basically provide a better product for their listeners. So, you know, we're trying to make this the best kind of CDR coverage um, available. So 
if you can give anything, whether it's a pound, two pounds, or if you've got a nice inheritance, then please feel free to um, give us a big chunk. So um, any help is very much appreciated. I believe Connor's mic is uh, broke, so I might just wrap it up. Blair, I'm sure the viewers were very happy to see some a new um, face on the screen, so very much thank you for coming on and sharing your opinions and views. No, thanks for having me on, man. It was, uh, you can hear me, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just us <laughs> shaking his head there in the little corner in the, in the side. Um, no, I had a good podcast with you, Nick. It was great to be on the show. <laughs> and you, Connor, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure hopefully we'll have you back um, sometime soon. Um, but otherwise, from Connor, Blair, and myself, uh, it's ciao for now, and we'll see you next week. Thanks very much to Nick for being professional for once and stepping up when we needed him to. So to thank him, I'll let him have the last word this week. I actually do like Atalanta. I actually do like Atalanta.
I actually do like Atalanta. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.